The COVID-19 pandemic dramatically shifted the world to digital transformation. This transformation has galvanized the healthcare sector into thinking more deeply on what it means to be truly patient-centric and how digital care can become mainstream. Patient-centered e-health services have the potential to improve the quality of care according to patient needs, preferences and values, and at the heart is still delivering the right care at the right time. But how are healthcare providers in the Asia-Pacific region acting on these global shifts and what challenges lie ahead? I think we have to scale Everest and we're in the foothills at this point in most health systems. If you ask most patients for their feedback about their lived experience, it is really a mix of patient-centric care. I think we must first put the person or the patient back in the centre and then consider how best to harness what technology has to offer today. Change can be painful, but ultimately, a digitally-enabled healthcare system has the potential to empower people, support healthcare professionals and boost clinical care efficiency. Digital innovation and technology is rapidly opening up new possibilities for patient-centered care. This is Healthcare Redefined, a podcast series which explores the vital issues driving digital change and innovation for a sustainable healthcare sector in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Elizabeth Suka, Senior Research Manager at Economist Impact. This podcast has been commissioned by Philips. In this first episode, we will explore how two advanced healthcare systems in the Asia-Pacific, Australia and Singapore, are driving digital transformation to ensure patient-centered care is at the heart of the healthcare services. Some countries and their hospitals have this redesign in mind, acting as exemplars, but others are still applying a paternalistic and provider approach. Healthcare systems can no longer be organized solely around clinicians, diseases or budgets, but a patient having an active role in co-creation. Everything from their care pathway to their own treatment decisions and how they access care and their data. But before we explore the digital tools and digital transformation of healthcare services, what do we really mean by patient-centered care in the Asia-Pacific region? Maybe patient-centric care is already an anachronistic concept. We have to put people rather than patients at the forefront of our health systems. That's Professor Geoffrey Braithwaite, the founding director of the Australian Institute of Health Innovation. He is also the director of the Centre for Healthcare Resilience and Implementation Science at Macquarie University in Sydney. I think we have to scale Everest and we're in the foothills at this point in most health systems. Maybe we're getting to base camp, if I can extend the analogy. There's a long way to go for us to turn the culture of health systems, perhaps including in advanced health systems like Singapore and Australia, to turn the culture into one where we're genuinely person-focused. We've still set up health systems, for the most part, traditionally and even today, around the provider needs rather than the patient and the person's needs. Patient-reported outcome measures, or PROMs, are instruments which capture patients' views in order to assess their care and drive improvement in healthcare. Their importance is now growing exponentially. We're still making advances. We're involving the patients, using techniques such as surveying patients and asking what they really want. 
asking individual clinicians much more to take the patient and the person's voice into account as they deliver care rather than more paternalistically saying clinicians know best and this is what you need. So I think that is turning around. I don't think we've gone far enough yet. And as I say, I still think we've got a way to go, even in systems which have done a lot of work on proms and prems, the idea that we take the patient's voice and preferences into account. That's the view from Australia. But what about Singapore? The Office of Health Transformation in its Ministry of Health is a new body only set up in 2018, but it has set itself an ambitious work program in redesigning healthcare. What does it think we need to consider more widely when we talk about patient centricity? Dr. Lok Wei Chong, its head of integrated health promotion and clinical director of programs, explains. We are now looking at really an epidemic of chronic diseases, aging populations. I think that's all over the world. It's not just in the richer countries, but everywhere. And if you look at it that way, then diseases start when you're well, not when you end up in the hospital. It's probably too late. And these lifestyles, behaviours, your day-to-day, physical activity, healthy eating, 10-15 minutes that we squeeze into a consult room with the doctor is not enough to determine a lifestyle change that needs to happen in order to prevent these diseases right from the beginning. And so in order to do that, then we need to actually put the patient or the person in the center where he makes his daily decisions. It's not what happens in the doctor's consult room, nor in the hospital bed that will decide whether he will succumb to complications of chronic disease, for instance. The patient voice is going to be crucial to understand those daily decisions. Ailing Sim Devadas is founding co-chair of the Sing Health Patient Advocacy Network a patient group in Singapore. She is also a breast cancer survivor and is keenly aware of the workings of one healthcare provider in action, the Sing Health Duke NUS Academic Medical Centre, which spans a network of hospitals, polyclinics and community care. What gaps has she seen in patient centricity in Singapore? I think it's significant that patient-centric care has really become more important in Singapore hospitals in the past decade. But while more has been said and done by you know, healthcare teams to put patients at the centre of what they do and to consider their needs, I do feel that it is still a journey. There are still gaps. If you ask most patients for their feedback about their lived experience, it is really a mix of patient-centric care. Uh, there are people who will tell me you know, how happy they are with the doctors and nurses and the experience they have. But at the same time, I'm also hearing a fair share of uh, frustration with uh, task-focused care as well. So I would say it's still a journey. But I think there is definitely more awareness and more intention to engage patients. If then we understand what we mean by patient-centred care, then what benefits can the digital transformation of healthcare services bring? This digital transformation includes a whole range of things, connecting patients through virtual and remote care models, greater access to electronic health records, and the potential integration of data from a range of sources such as patient apps and devices. It will affect how healthcare systems interact with patients and ultimately care for them. Can it bridge the gaps, improve patient outcomes, or tackle health system efficiency and waste? Exactly what has the Australian and Singaporean experience been like, especially during COVID? 
in modern health systems, including Singapore and Australia, where people have done big epidemiological studies, around 60% of care is in line with level one evidence, you know, gold standard randomized trials or guidelines that the clinicians themselves set for the delivery of care. So 60% of care is high quality. 30% is some form of waste, care that shouldn't be delivered or um, administrative overheads that should be reduced or tests that are taken and nobody ever reads the results. So there's a lot of inefficiencies in the system. So 60% quality care in line with guidelines and level one evidence, 30% is waste, and about 10% of all patient encounters come with some level of harm or adverse events. So 60, 30, 10. If we could improve on those numbers through the digital transformation, through being more person-centric, we'd have a better health system. We'd actually also have more money to deploy for even more person-centric care. Now, in Australia, before the pandemic, about 11% of all encounters had some form of telemedicine, teleconsultation. During the pandemic, when we did some research last year on the Australian health system and the community's views on it, a consumer-centric survey, 47% of people had participated in some sort of telehealth, telemedicine consultation or treatment. Now, this is because of the pandemic, because people were locked down or didn't want to go to see their practitioner or were worried or didn't want to get infected by COVID-19. So that's a major step forward. Those sort of gains where we've started to harness much more than we had before, digital ways of dealing with care are major steps forward. The next thing I think is to construe the health system with the patient in the center as a learning health system. So imagine the patient in the middle and around the patient are all the data that the patient produces, their history, their genomic data, their test results. And then the whole health system becomes a learning health system with that in focus. You know, digital health has really opened up many possibilities. But if it's not approached, designed and executed with the needs of patients and the family caregivers in mind, it is not going to fulfil its promise. Just like you know, any other industry for a product and service to be successful, the consumer must be front and centre. And the other thing that we have to remember, you know, when we talk about patient and family caregiver profile and needs, it is going to be diverse. You know, there's going to be people at different stage of the healthcare journey. They will have different response to their health diagnosis and prognosis to different socioeconomic background, age groups, language preferences, health literacy, and even comfort with digital tools. So respecting and understanding this diversity is really important because we are all different. For example, uh, we can't assume that all elderly will use digital tools in one way. But what approach are policymakers taking in Singapore to digitally transform services to have an impact on patient-centered care? Dr. Lokwei Chong gives us his take. My organization, MOHT, is thinking about this at the system level. We've been talking about it in Singapore for a few years now. Uh, we call it the three beyonds. Beyond hospital to community, beyond healthcare to health, beyond quality, which means quality at any cost, to value, value for money, uh, cost efficiency in terms of uh, providing healthcare. So we, I think digital transformation in our eyes at a system level is to think through how do we actually get pilots to work and then the successful ones to scale. 
And these are tough questions because it's about complex change management. Change management needs to happen both at the provider side, you know, among clinicians, and also at the patient's end, uh, people with different levels of readiness in terms of using digital solutions. I think the, the difficulty especially is in between care coordination. And when we do that and we are trying to layer on new technology, uh, digital enablements, people can fall through the cracks, right? So I think that the challenge is to be able to align providers across health and even social settings because more and more so, uh, care has to bridge between the healthcare settings into the community uh, to raise the capabilities of primary care and community-based care. Care coordination is certainly a good idea for seamless care, but how much work will be required for this digital transformation and what package of measures are needed from addressing the digital needs of the workforce, having digitally literate consumers, a culture shift and the use of big data. Professor Braithwaite again. So there's a lot of work to do, even though many places, hospitals and other settings and health systems have done major work. It really is a journey rather than a destination. There are individual providers and groups of providers that we lump together called hospitals, general practices, clinics, hospital departments, physiotherapy practices, each of which is trying to harness the big systems, the big data that's being produced by the digital transformation and use those to understand their patients and treat their patients better. But that workforce, that scattered workforce around the whole of an entire health sector, health endeavor, is in transition too, not just the health system itself, but the workforce. And what we know is the workforce of the future that's digitally literate and can work with big data and new IT systems and telehealth and teleconsultations and mine the data through artificial intelligence and machine learning, that workforce isn't the workforce of the present to a considerable extent. So lots of skill development, education, training of people, new skills in using new digital technology. Healthcare Redefined is a podcast series commissioned by Philips. And here's a word from our sponsor. Since 2016, Philips has supported original research to help determine the readiness of countries to address global health challenges and build efficient and effective health systems. The Future Health Index focuses on the crucial role digital tools and connected care technology can play in delivering more affordable, integrated and sustainable healthcare. With almost 3,000 healthcare leaders surveyed across 15 countries, the 2022 Future Health Index focuses on how data and advanced analytics are giving healthcare providers new tools which enhance their ability to deliver care to all sectors of their communities, both in and out of traditional hospital settings. Click the link in the show notes to access the report. As part of this dramatic digital transformation, both sides will need to engage, the providers of care and the receivers of care. Patients and their families also need the digital literacy skills to easily navigate an increasingly complex healthcare system and to better express their values and preferences. But the system is fragmented, which will be another challenge for the digital transformation. 
But where have some gains been made? We're trying to create more integrated, joined-up care so the clinics can talk much more clearly with the hospitals and the practices in the private sector and public and private providers talking to each other. So there's a lot of work to do. Now, you ask, where have people made gains? I think there's a sophisticated understanding now, more and more, of what's needed. This is a marriage, and some places are doing this well. Some hospitals in Australia, for example, Singapore obviously is really trying hard, has made a lot of progress in being an integrated health system. But we've got to marry the science and the informatics, the scientific data on patients, test results, etc., with the informatics, real-time access to knowledge. We have to have a better view of patient-clinician partnerships so that patients are empowered and have a voice. We need to provide incentives. At the moment, in many health systems in the region, many of the incentives are to treat more patients, volume. But what we really need is more incentives to create value. So the care that's delivered and received is highly valuable for the patient. We also need to change the culture. It's not just technology that's to do with digital transformation. It's a continuous learning culture. And then we need to overlay this with the right sort of policies and governance and regulations. Because the other thing we haven't talked about yet, and we need to talk a lot about this in the digital transformation, is the privacy of the data. All this data that we're producing, genomics data, informatics data, patient data. What level do we set for privacy and anonymity? Who can access this data? All of those are problems in transition, challenges that need to be solved. Others agree it is a journey. But can we better structure our healthcare solutions? I think Singapore is beginning on this journey. The other thing to look at is to balance centralised and decentralised solutions. I think in the past, being very top-down, healthcare would have been organised in a very centralised manner. But I think if we start to think that the patient and the person in the community must be put in charge and taking care of his own health, for instance, then the decentralized solutions has to be more and more uh, developed, uh, whether it is an app on the mobile phone or monitoring devices that give them feedback into how they are doing in their disease control and management. I think all these will come to the fore too. The digital tools in this transformation for patients is multi-pronged, including the use of apps, predictive analytics, gaining test results remotely, as well as virtual care. But what has really taken off? Hospital in the Home, which is where major gains have been made in Australia, is really coming into its own now. We are digitally enabling people to not go into hospital, to not be in admission. And now we can treat a range of clinical conditions. So in Australia, the kind of conditions that are being treated, where the person can be safely managed, without a person needing to stay in hospital for conditions such as cellulitis, pneumonia, deep vein thrombosis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, or urinary tract infections. They are remotely being dealt with. This is giving people empowerment, really, not just care and for them to feel safe, but an ability to remain in the comfort of their own home, not having to adjust to the hospital's routine, 
You can eat your own food, watch TV, sleep in your own sleeping pattern rather than the hospital's sleeping pattern even. The other bit of the jigsaw puzzle, I think, is big data. Harnessing all the data that millions of patients produce each year, genomic data, data about the patient's history, data about test results, and then you can do something at the population level. So you can say, what's the incidence of disease? What's changing in the population where we need to provide different services? So these are some of the things that are happening in Australia and other countries that are really taking hold and giving, if you like, giving life to the idea of those two words, digital transformation. Jeff's example from Australia is very interesting because we are just about starting uh, across the country now in Singapore, a mobile inpatient care, we call it MIC, mobile inpatient care at home. And, and it certainly sounds similar, but I thought I would offer us another example. In Singapore, during the pandemic, we created Mindline.sg. This was done by MOHT together with our partners, which is uh, Mindline.sg. It is a mental well-being app, which was focused on addressing the stresses of the general population during the early days of pandemic. So besides uncertainty about the severity and how it spread and all that, and there was a lot of concern and people were stuck at home, locked down, how do you deal with the stresses there? And I think the way we created that was to be a digital first. That means in a sense, if we could enable patients to, number one, to self-assess how stressed they were. So we put evidence-based um, kind of self-assessment tools onto a mobile platform. And then based on that self-assessment and the score, direct them to helps and resources. And, and this could be not just mental health data, right? This provided a kind of a, a trusted referral tool to direct people to the correct helps and resources. These technologies sound very promising, especially the reactivity of Singapore to the pandemic. With any new digital innovation, a person-centered approach puts people at the heart of healthcare so that users are recognized as individuals and encouraged to play an active role in their care. What role do patient groups see for themselves in these innovations? So I want to encourage providers and healthcare teams to start thinking how you want to engage patients and family caregivers even when your project is on the drawing board. Because there are many ways to engage patients and families and depending on your projects and needs, they can be an ideation partner, a sounding board, a product tester, sharer of patient insights, and being a valuable project team member as well. So this is something that actually my team in SPAN, the Sing Health Patient Advocacy Network, which is a patient and family advisory council, has been advocating. And we are glad that we are well supported in this approach and methodology by the Sing Health team. So this is something that we have always been going to the healthcare teams to encourage them to do as well. Another key stakeholder are the leaders of hospitals and healthcare systems to champion change and create a roadmap for digital transformation. Some healthcare providers can pinpoint the moment when they realise that their world was changing. Sometimes it was a member of the IT team or someone outside the organisation which poked them into action. So then... Are we needing a new breed of leader to prompt change, or is it something else? Leadership in this transformation is certainly very important. You know, people have said that everything rises and falls on leadership. 
But I think behind the leader uh, and in the organizational level, we also need a culture for digital transformation. What the leader drives in terms of technology should be going for for technology that can cross communicate, right? Focus on proper data capture, storage, secure way of doing analysis, and then leading to actionable insights. I think attention to cybersecurity is going to be very important. I think this was mentioned because it's about trustworthiness of the whole system. I mean, it just takes a breach, a leak, and then the population, the public may lose trust in this whole digital transformation. So I think all these have to be watched over and managed well. And I like the way Jeff said that workforce is going to be important. So I think as we move into a more digital workforce, I think talent, existing ones, new ones have to be upskilled properly. All should be looking to play the long game, right? In a sense, because technology will need to be renewed, will need to be upgraded uh, every few years. And uh, I think no one can afford to stay uh, in the same spots, but to continue to grow as technology also advances. I think one of the terms I like very much, the difference between going digital and lots of people are saying going digital or becoming digital, right? Uh, and, and the difference that I like is that becoming digital means digital first. How can we digitally enable the customer experience? When we can do that, then we can create omni-channel access, right? Patients can contact their providers, they can make appointments, they can chat with a patient advocate or a nurse educator uh, through the same portal, creating apps and portals and uh, self-service kiosks, using technology in different ways to really change to the journey of, of the patient or even of the person in the community as they traverse from being well to acutely ill or even to long-term kind of a disease management. I think it's a whole culture of digital transformation, not just a one specific leader, but building up that culture will be important. With something as transformative as the digital revolution, it is always good to consider upfront what could be holding the ecosystem back in the Asia-Pacific region. I think there's a lack of vision holding many systems back. And the reason is, many governments, many providers, the reason is they haven't figured out what the health system of 2030 looks like so they can then work backwards and say, well, if that's what we would like as a destination, how do we get to there? So many people don't have a vision for, and I'm picking 2030 because I've done research on this, I've done some work on this. What does your health system look like at 2030? And now let's work back from there. That's what we want to achieve. Now we start from where we are. Let's try and get there. And you immediately find that digital data, being patient-centric, all the things we've talked about are increasingly essential to understand and make progress with. I think we must first put the person or the patient back in the centre and then consider how best to harness what technology has to offer today and, and wherever your starting point is. Uh, different parts of Asia may be at different starting points, but I wouldn't be surprised that even developing countries could leapfrog us tomorrow. The cost of technology, the cost of data, digital storage, transmission, all falling incredibly year on year. So I would say put the patient in the center, consider the journey and be open to different ways, new ideas, new modalities, 
and channels of delivering care and then figure out what needs to change underneath. And that's what we do in healthcare transformation in my unit. The digital transformation of healthcare services is certainly a journey and system level change will be needed as we hold hands with the patient. That is it for this episode of Healthcare Redefined. Next time, we will look at artificial intelligence and predictive analytics. If you like what you have heard, please follow the podcast series. And thanks again to our sponsor, Philips, and our guests, Professor Jeffrey Braithwaite, Dr. Lokwe Chong, and Ailing Sim Devardas. And do visit the Healthcare Redefined website where you can find articles and videos on the digital transformation of healthcare in the Asia-Pacific region.